Hello, folks. How are you doing today? I hope you had a great weekend. Okay, today we're going to speak about a subject that is a little bit strange. Uh, Mormons have the concept of the Heavenly Father, but the, uh, it can go by many names, and it has a few different uh, attributes. So today we're going to speak as to who is God, what is God, from the perspective of the early Christian Gospels, uh, so they were archaeologically fine next to the other Gospels. Uh, in this episode, there's no real creation story of humans. Uh, in the King James Bible, all we get is that Adam comes forward and things begin. But Adam is a man for most Mormons. So this is going to change gears totally. Anyway, thank you very much, and let's go. Okay, in the Bible, we find many descriptions of who God is. If one reads the Bible in the original Hebrew, one finds that God has many names. Uh, initially, uh, when we have the creation story with Adam, the Adam calls him the Elohim. Uh, that name is not a proper name. Al basically means God, and Ochim basically means many. And Al sometimes it doesn't mean God, it means like judges or enumerators. It can have many different attributes, but it definitely is not a proper name. Uh, in Judaism, sometimes you have to put the root of a particular were the root of a particular name or adjective or pronoun within a name. And so Al is one of those kind of pronouns. And Ochim basically means like many. And so that gives us an indication that this is not a proper name. And then if we keep reading the Bible, then from Elohim we turn into Jah, and then we turn into Al, and then goes into Yahweh. And then as we get outside of the Torah, we get into Shaddai Achai, Adonai Haretz, Adonai, which simply means, uh, Adonai basically means Lord. Adonai Haretz means Lord of Earth. And then it turns into kind of like when the Jews start to have um, warfare, then it becomes Lord of Armies. And some of the literature has found that there are versions of Jewish God names uh, like Asherah and hosts and companions of God. And so if we try to understand the perception of God, it is probably not very accurate from what we're really used to. In Mormon canon, Joseph Smith described uh, that God uh, was a human and that he lived in the planet called Kolob. When asked in which constellation did Kolob reside, uh, Joseph Smith refused to say. And a lot of concepts about the Mormon afterlife seem to be based on the idea that humans will recover their bodies. Uh, this will happen during the resurrection. But if we read uh, Jewish canon or Gnostic Christian canon, um, Bodies are not necessary for an intelligence to exist. And the world is actually very limiting 
as far as the existence of that particular intelligence. The realms of heaven and chaos are very vast, and they certainly do not need a planet to, to exist. So the concept of God living in a planet is very limiting. Uh, if he were to have a body, or if he were to have a body and just have a spaceship to travel, where the are the treasuries planets, uh, it gets a little complicated. When one reads the Old Testament, uh, one has to wonder whether the Bible is literal, though. Many Jewish experts do not believe that a lot of the Torah is literal. Adam and Eve were certainly probably not people. They were a certain type of intelligence or a certain type of moral philosophical concept to try to explain creation and development. Uh, but the King James Bible is like the ABCs of the real Gospels of Jesus, like the, I'm talking about the Gnostic Gospels of Jesus. The New Testament is very simple, very basic, and it barely hints on the real mysteries that Jesus revealed to his inner disciples. The Gnostic Gospels on, on, the other, on the other side of the coin, it is like calculus. It is like Jesus' revelation, like like way accelerated. There's way too much stuff. It is very complex, complex, and oh my gosh, is it so gorgeous. It's just like, it just goes into so great detail of a philosophical concept. And these had to be written by Jesus because the philosophical concepts are so out there that no, philo no philosopher during the time of Jesus or prior to the time of Jesus or after the time of Jesus was able to come up with all this stuff. The book I'll be speaking about today is The Secret Book of John. Now, The Secret Book of John, you can find it in the Nah Hammadi scriptures. This book is quoted, uh, the teachings of the Savior and the revelation of the mysteries and those things hidden in silence, things he taught to his disciples, John, close quote. Uh, let me clarify that this scroll was found next to the scrolls that contained the New Testament and dates to around 380. Therefore, it is, it is historically valid. The Catholic Church uh, will call it apocryphal, and it tried to destroy it, to, it tried to invalidate it, but, it, but it, is, it is historically valuable as any other gospel. Uh, okay, so let's try to uh, put a little, a, a little um, background here. After some rebuttal at the temple, uh, this is a story now getting into the secret book of John, John goes uh, to a mountainous in a barren place. Basically, the rebuttal is that there's this guy that's telling him that Jesus fooled him, that Jesus was not a Messiah, that he was a false prophet, and that he basically played a joke on him. And John did not believe that, so he went to the mountainous region. And there he prayed and, quote, Why was he sent into the world by his father? Who is his father who sent him? To what kind of eternal realm shall we go? And why did he tell us when he spoke that this eternal realm to which we shall go is molded after the incorruptible realm? But he did not teach us what kind of eon that one is. Close quote. The language in which John is speaking here, it's already Gnostic. The concept of eon 
is a concept that Jesus taught secretly to, to, to his disciples, particularly because this has to do with the real Heavenly Father and the creation of the spirits from Heavenly Father. Uh, this is not touched upon in the, in the New Testament, and this is where things get really interesting, interesting but also kind of complicated. Uh, there may be more to it than going to a barren part of the mountain. We have also have to ask ourselves, why did John do it? Uh, why did he go to that specific place? Wouldn't the temple be a more uh, divine-inspired place for him to go? Uh, he obviously was still a devout Jew by going to the temple. And kind of like Adam, he was also waiting for the father or the master to come back and teach him more stuff. And, of course, you have the bad guy telling him, uh, you're a fool, you know, kind of ridicule him. But on the mountain, a strange figure shows up to John. And John describes it in the following way, quote, It seemed to be an elderly person. Again, it changed his appearance to be a youth. There was a figure with several forms within the light, close quote. This type of vision reaffirms the fact that Jesus took on many forms and has been theorized by some scholars. As he comes back to the apostles after he died on the cross, like many apostles did not recognize them. You can find an example of this in Luke 24, 15 through 16. Uh, the fig- and then the figure, talking about Jesus, then says to John, quote, John, why are you doubting? Why are you afraid? Aren't you familiar with this figure? Then do not be faint-hearted. I am with you always. I am the father. I am the mother. I am the child. I am the incorruptible and the undefiled one. Close quote. I will think that Jesus, he's at another level. Of course, we as humans cannot transform into different, into a, we cannot transform into different humans. And so within this light, he's able to kind of like a picture himself and like into a hologram to try to speak to John. And that is pretty quite powerful because the intelligence, in this case, Jesus did not need a body to try to speak to John. He probably spoke to him as a type of hologram that kind of turns into like multiple different beings. And he's trying to calm John down. And so Jesus then proceeds to teach John about the question that he asked. And quote, what is, what was, and what is going to come that you may understand what is invisible and what is visible and to teach you about the unshakable generations of the perfect human, close quote. Now, this is classic Jesus. He's super cryptic. We will like to, we will need to evaluate what is the relationship between time, between what is visible and invisible, and who are these unshakable generations of the perfect human. But as it is in, within the style of Jesus, he goes on to explain it. And so Jesus begins his explanation by explaining the highest God, who he calls the One. Quote, the One is a sovereign that has nothing over it. It is God and parent, father of all, the invisible, the invisible one that is over all, that is uncorruptible, 
that is pure light at which no eye can gaze. Now, taking the description by Jesus, we can safely assume that if there was a personification of Heavenly Father, this will be it. And it will be hard to try to understand this particular being as a human, uh, at least in my opinion. The description continues, quote, The one is the invisible spirit. We should not think of it as a god or like a god, for it is greater than a god, because it has nothing over it and no lord above it. It does not exist within anything inferior to it, since everything exists within, for it establishes itself, it is eternal, since it, since it does not need anything. It is absolutely complete. It has never lacked anything in order to be completed. Rather, it is always absolutely complete in light. Close quote. Now, to me, this little phrase uh, has the answer to a lot of questions. As to whether God needs us to pray to him, as to whether God um, needs a wife, as to whether God needs air or water or money or wherever it is, whatever it is, he obviously, according to Jesus, does not need anything. He is just absolute light and power and majesty. And so God's description continues for a couple of pages. Uh, quote, uh, this one is one of the also very interesting ones I found. Uh, the one is immeasurable light, pure, holy, immaculate. It is unutterable and is perfect in, in uncorruptibility. Not that it is just perfection or blessedness or divinity. It is much greater. This statement is followed by, by, by a psalm. So it seems that the Gnostic Gospels were also not only stories, but stories that were uh, accompanied by songs. And these are the lyrics of the songs. Quote, The one is not corporeal, and it is not incorporeal. The one is not large, or it is not, and it is not small. It is impossible to say how much is it, what kind is it, for no one understands. Now, as to how do they play this type of music and what instruments do they use this type of music, who knows. My guess is that they probably use some type of drum, the uh, Morse and the Sephardi. They use the Oud. Uh, the Greeks used flutes, and those were probably the only instruments that were, that were around that time. In Africa, they had these, uh, uh, these sticks with uh, cat intestines as a string that they beat with a stick. That was another possibility. Uh, who knows what type of instruments that they use to, 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 to sing these, uh, these psalms. And so if Jesus... Uh, the one who knows the one dictated this. One can say that this settles a lot of questions, at least for me, as far as the description of God. Now, that has been an issue in my life because I have never really quite understood God as having a body. Because to me, God does, cannot have a body because bodies are cheap. Uh, they last about 100 years or 90 or 80 or 70, depending on where you live. Uh, you get them a little virus and they die. Uh, you change the temperature a little bit and they die. Just bodies are just flimsy and weak. But 
there are obviously forces out there in the universe that have existed for millions and billions of years, like stars, for example. Stars could be alive, who knows? I mean, all the fission that is going on inside the stars, um, it could be alive. The Earth, I think it's alive, where, you know, it has its cycles and it has its, its uh, life that it supports. It just has all these different attributes, like yeah, like a like an organism, like a body, and so the planet has lived way longer than a body. The sun has lived way way longer than a body, and so I believe that God does not have a body. And if Jesus seems to describe God to even greater than a star, I, I don't think he has a body. Or if he wants to have a body, he probably can have a body. Like Jesus kind of have a body when he presented himself to John. Uh, he kind of manifested a body. It didn't have to be born out of a woman. It just kind of manifested itself, which is the type of power like Jesus and the people up there in those higher treasuries have. And that's why they have the greater knowledge, because they have the greater knowledge to either appear as bodies or to probably make stars or make planets or make whatever they want. And since humans have such a limited amount of time here on Earth, it is very difficult to try to learn and understand and apply that type of power or understanding or knowledge. Uh, we barely start getting our act together around the age of 40 and 50, where we, we have an education like a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD. And then we're able to practice it up in the field and we more or less have to start to understand, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do things and try to carry on, and then sometimes we get tired, and then we just die. I think that we as humans uh, have a very short life, life lifespan and are very limited. And so this is uh, the episode for today. For today, I hope you have uh, a great week, and have a great one. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.